GLC fam. I am Erin Crumley. I'm one of the team leaders for Crew Los Angeles, and one of the ways my role plays out is one of my favorite roles, getting to work with you guys here in GLC. This community, this ministry is really special to me, and I'll explain to you why. Last week actually marked 10 years of me walking with Jesus, which was really exciting to realize. I graduated back in 2013 from another large school in the LA area that I won't mention for the sake of this podcast. But when I was a freshman, I joined a sorority. I rushed for the reasons people join Greek life. I was having a great time. I wanted to meet more people. I honestly was not looking for God. But there were a handful of girls in my sorority house who started a Bible study, and week after week they'd invite me, and they'd ask me great questions, and honestly, they just cared for me from a really real place. And that was the beginning of life with Jesus, and there's really been no looking back. And so I just want to say I love this place. I love what you guys are doing, and I just want to say thank you because people like you are the reason people like me exist. Just wanted to start there. Also wanted to say I am joining you from the middle of the ocean, kind of. I made a joke last fall that if we were still virtual through the spring, I'd move somewhere fun because why not? And so here I am joining you from Honolulu, Hawaii, and I'm far in distance, but I'll say I'm close in spirit. I think that's about all that you need to know for me, for now, about me. Today for our podcast, I wanted to jump into a conversation that's been significant to me. It's been one that I think about often and that has shaped a lot of life for me this past year. And that conversation is basically the intersection of Jesus and faith and psychology, the brain, how we're wired, and how faith actually speaks into those things in a really real way. About a year ago, I started seeing this therapist, and honestly, it was not what I thought it was going to be at all. I wasn't sitting there session after session crying and rehashing my childhood, although there's nothing wrong with that, and there's definitely a place for those things. It's just not what that was for me. What it was was a fierce and awesome follower of Jesus who had a doctoral degree in psychology and she would teach me practical skills to live and to walk within the finished work of Jesus. My favorite part of it was that she knew that I also love psychology and neuroscience and all things in between. And so she would explain to me what's happening when I think this thing versus this old thought pattern. And she would say, research shows this. And it was just fascinating to me. And it really grounded the things that she was teaching me. If I could boil down what I learned in that time... It would be this, that Jesus walks with us in our grief, but when it comes to our fear and our shame, he will always fight them. And there are practical ways that we can partner with him in that. So this last year has been a lot of hard things, a lot of hard feelings, a lot of hard thoughts to sort through. And I don't know if anyone would be opposed to me saying that statement. But I would say that sorting these things out, as confusing as they are, make a huge difference in, the, in learning the way that God deals with each of those things differently, with our fear, with our grief, with our shame. And it will actually really change our quality of life when we take the time to do so. Let's just do a first glance at scripture um, and see what God says about each of these things. 
When it comes to grief, I think of one of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 34, that says, God is near to the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed in spirit. In the Gospels, it says that Jesus wept when his friend died. He also says there will be troubles in the world. He knows that pain is part of this world. When it comes to fear, you've probably heard the most common command in the Bible is do not fear. It's always saying, do not fear for I'm with you. Do not fear. Also in Psalm 34, it says those who seek him lack no good thing. He's saying he takes care of us. In the Gospels, it says he takes care of the birds of the air and the flowers of the field. So we don't need to worry. When it comes to shame, I think of the verse in Romans that says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I think of the woman who was bleeding much of her life, which was very shameful at the time, and what Jesus did to to fight for that shame in her and to give her the ability to walk with dignity again. Now on to what I think is the fun stuff. You might think it's just nerdy and weird, but the brain. How does all this stuff intersect? All right, so back to grief, pain, loss, grief, all of these things are, are together and it's actually really validated in our bodies. The funny part is so much of what we do is trying to avoid pain, to avoid the reality that we're experiencing it, to, um, to overcome it. I think about doing gymnastics growing up and I would have injury after injury after injury and I would continue to push through it and compete through it and just say, I'll take one more ibuprofen and I'll take my hands. And usually as it works, it would get to a point where I had to deal with it. And so I would say in general, we're probably better at acknowledging physical pain because it does just that gets to a point where we can't ignore it anymore. The fascinating part is that in the brain, we actually register physical pain and emotional pain in the exact same areas of the brain. So if you looked at the brain scan of someone who just broke their leg, it would show you the same image as someone who is going through heartbreak, as a lot of us who have experienced loss because of the pandemic. Racial trauma could be in there, losing a friendship or a family member. And Jesus validates our pain. This aligns with scripture. Says that he was a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. He doesn't minimize our pain. He knows that part of what it means to be human is to live in this pain-filled world, and so he walks with us. When it comes to fear, fear usually has to do with some form of lack, some kind of perceived scarcity. I won't have what it takes when the time comes. I won't have what I need when the time comes. I won't be taken care of. I won't be safe. So let's do a little basic anatomy of the brain. Fear actually comes from this little area in the back of our brain. It's called the amygdala. It's actually the first, one of the first areas to develop in children's brains. And the amygdala is responsible for these gut kind of instinctual reactions, fight or flight, a lot of other things in there. But for the sake of of this talk, we'll stay there. When God says that he takes care of us, that he provides for us, that he's with us, What he's doing is he's actually covering over the places that we would otherwise use fear as the driving force to get our needs met. Fear is usually some kind of attempt to cover for ourselves. If I worry, then I will think through every possible scenario and then I won't be caught off guard with something that I can't handle. 
if I ruminate, then I'll be able to anticipate this thing that's coming and so on. Of course, there are times when fear is a beautiful and actually necessary part of God's protection over our lives. If someone is running after you or you're in immediate danger, do not stop and fight the fear. Please don't. Trust that God is guiding you even through that. But I would say for most of the places of fear in our life, there are places when Jesus wants to come in and say, I'm covering you. I'm already working out the details for you right now, for your future, for your good. And even before you can see them, they're unfolding right now. So back to the brain, what's happening here is he's actually allowing that little place in the back of our brain, the amygdala, to quiet down and then allowing us to operate out of other places of our brain where we can make decisions out of wisdom, where we can be creative like we're supposed to be and do everything we do from a place of peace. We can lean into this process with him. So my therapist taught me something that really has changed a lot for me. My job is a lot of meetings. I'm leading this ministry across the scope of LA, and so there's meetings all the time and lots of meetings that look really different with lots of different people. And I started experiencing this really paralyzing anxiety before I would go into meetings, whatever the meeting was. My thoughts would be something like this. What if something comes up that I don't know how to handle? I I won't know how to manage all of these people or... What if I can't think of the solution on the spot? So I shared these things with her and she said something that has changed my life. She said, whenever there is a promise of God, we don't have to beg him to to fulfill that promise. It's something he's promised. So we just lean into the promises he's already made. And she said, the prayer is no longer help me, help me, help me in this kind of begging way. But she said, the prayer then becomes, thank you, God, that you are leading this meeting I'm just following your leadership. So you provide the wisdom, you provide the anointing, you provide everything that I need. And then teach me to keep in step with you, God. I will follow you. And I can say with full honesty, this has changed so much for me. She just, she said it herself. She was like, you're going to just have to give it a try. And I'm excited for you to come back next week and tell me how that went. I have grown leaps and bounds in terms of making progress in these areas by not begging, but just leaning into the provision and the promise he's already promised to me. Hilarious little side note, it has been truly evident to the people in my life. I don't think I'm exaggerating at this point. I think there we are in the double digit numbers of my friends who have connected with her now because they have seen real change in me and said, how is this happening and how do I get my hands on this? So funny. I think of children. Think of a child who wakes up in the morning and their little child tummy is hungry and this child knows that their mom or dad or whoever's taking care of them will give them breakfast when they wake up in the morning. There's an assurance that that need will be provided for. They don't need to fear for that need and so their brain is actually free to not worry for those very survival needs. They can be creative and that child is actually free to start becoming the person that they are meant to become. Versus think of a child who lives in fear. Maybe there's a child who doesn't know that they will be provided for. And so back to the brain, that little amygdala is going to be in full force because for survival's sake, there's a very real place of need that is trying to be taken care of. 
that's where God comes into the picture and changes everything because we're adults, but we're also children of his. And he says that he provides for his children. And we lean into that by trusting in his promises and his provisions. And then we get to live full lives as a result. We will close out with talking about shame. Shame is such a fascinating emotion. If you are a Brene Brown fan like I am, you know that shame is a very sneaky emotion. It doesn't show up and say, this is shame. It doesn't show up announced. It shows up as some kind of thought or feeling that feels really, really true. Shows up in thoughts like, there's something that's actually wrong with me. Or, I did this to myself and therefore I deserve blank. Or there's something in me that's a little bit too far beyond repair. And so it can be murky to sort through. Like, how do I even know shame is in the picture? But thank goodness we can trust that the Spirit is guiding us and He will help show us and sort through what is fear, what is pain, what is shame, etc. Another example from my personal life. So what actually landed me in therapy is that I was experiencing a lot of shame. If you're an Enneagram person, uh, I am an Enneagram type 2. I am a people person. I also have strong people-pleasing tendencies. And uh, there's a lot of great things there. I would say I have great friendships. I like to believe that I love people well, but at its worst, I can totally use my love as this savior complex. I can enable people with my love. I can get so enmeshed and caught up in other people's emotions that I lose my own sense of self. So I told my therapist about this and her response was, I hear a lot of I statements here and a lot of shaming I statements here. I did this to myself. I blank, blank, blank. And so she said, this is when the prayer goes from God fix me from my people-pleasing problems to thank you, God, that I'm no longer a pleaser of man. I'm a pleaser of God. And this is an opportunity to show you that. I think of how scripture affirms this. And honestly, it was really new to me at the time. I lived so much of my life with the central area, focus area of my life was on my brokenness. And I was just, yeah, I was always thinking I'm broken, I'm broken, I'm broken. And sure, there's totally a place for understanding ourselves rightly before God. But the Bible actually says that when we know God, we're new creations. He says that the old is past, the new has come. And so it's no longer and I'm broken and need to be put back together. He says, that's what I already purchased for you. You're new, you're whole. Now learn to walk in that. So when we mess up, it's not It's no longer a process of broken and fixing. It's a process of learning to walk, learning to grow into our true identity of who he says we are. Do we still mess up? Of course. Do we still sin and miss the mark and fall short of the truest way of living? All the time. But do we need to experience the deep shame and those feelings that weigh us down that comes with that? Well... If it's a process of learning and growing, I'll ask you, does a toddler who is newly learning to walk and takes a tumble from time to time, who's genuinely trying, does he or she need to experience deep shame when that happens? I'd say no, because it's a learning process and God knows that. And because because he knows us so perfectly, 
Shame and condemnation are exactly what he took for us, Jesus took for us on the cross. Not only in this distant, eternal way, but in a present way that changes our lives right now. Do we still confess and talk to God about our mess-ups and apologize to people when our decisions hurt them? Yes, of course. But I would actually say that receiving God's grace actually makes that process even easier because then we can step back and we can observe and acknowledge and move forward without having to first fall into this massive shame spiral and spend all the time otherwise that we would defending ourselves and running from reality or in a self-pity party, which is my choice favorite. (laughs) I think of the image of a bird in a cage. There's a verse in the Bible that says, it is for freedom that we are set free. And I used to hear that and I used to sing that in songs and I had no clue what the heck that meant. And now it finally makes sense to me. We are set free for the sake of freedom. The cage is unlocked so that we don't just sit inside the cage and flutter our wings, but so that we can leave the cage and we can live in freedom. We're no longer tied down by our shame and the things that would tell us that we're too broken and shouldn't even give it a try. The craziest thing about all of this is it used to be thought that fear was the most paralyzing emotion in the brain. Now research actually shows that shame will paralyze us more than anything in terms of trying to move forward in the areas of our life that we want to see growth in. And God took all of this into account. He knows our minds. He knows our hearts. He knows how we're wired. And he purchased on our behalf the very thing that otherwise would keep us stuck in the cage. I love the kindness of Jesus. I love the forethought of Jesus. I love that he's so committed to us and who we're becoming more committed than we ever could be for ourselves. And so I'm excited for you guys to to learn and to lean into these things alongside me as I continue to. I'd encourage you to just think through certain areas of your life where places maybe you're experiencing fear and maybe that fear doesn't show up saying I'm fear, but maybe You're experiencing unnecessary anxiety or worry over something that you actually don't need to battle. Or maybe it's places of shame that you've subconsciously told God, I don't know if I could ever change from this. It's just the way that I am and I think I'm a little too far gone. And then start inviting him in. Thank him for the promises he's already made over your life. And then watch the difference that it makes. I wanted to end this time with you with a prayer. This prayer actually comes from the end of Ephesians chapter 3, and I love this prayer because in my mind, it's the end of everything that we're talking about today. As we partner with God in the ways that he's fighting for us, growing us, and interceding over us, we experience his love in a deeper way, a way that actually transforms the way that we live. And so I'll just invite you to listen and to receive these words as I pray them over you. I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Amen. Thank you all for joining me on this episode. 
It was a privilege and a delight to share this space with you.